that's where you know like um after years of work really like i've had the opportunity to to join nike and it was a really amazing opportunity because i think that i had um I had really like a podium and a space to to grow my leadership skills beyond even design morphing that it's now 10 years old um, because again like it's a really amazing company like to do that. Hello everyone and welcome to another episode of the Creative Insider podcast. In this episode my guest was Pavlina Vardulaki Pryor. She is designer at Nike for the 3D design of footwear. And she's also the co-founder of Design Morphine, which is a very special advanced computational design school in uh, Sofia, Bulgaria, but you can attend it digitally. So we have discussed uh, her personal path in discovering uh, computational design and advanced 3D printing, how she started the whole school with her partner, Svetelina Girgieva and also many more topics that are related to the design and architectural industry, so I suggest to stick to the end. Before we start, I want to remind you that you can support the Creative Insider podcast by just commenting and liking this video, sharing it. This is all free things to do, but you can also support us by just joining the channel. You can become an intern for $2.99 a month or a mid-level or a senior. You can see the different tiers with different advantages you have or by joining the Real Insiders on Patreon and you'll be also, every episode you'll be mentioned as a thank you and you'll get access to these uh, live streams of the podcast. I know it's a lot to ask, but this um, content production takes a lot of time and a lot of efforts and if you like it and if you feel like it's part of your life and you have fun listening to this episode, please do consider joining Thank you very much, and now enjoy the full episode with Pavlina. Hello, uh, Pavlina, Paulina. I don't know exactly what to uh, to tell you because uh, we chatted all the time in English, and now we understood that we both speak Bulgarian, so it's really funny. <laughs> yes, indeed. <laughs> yes, um, I'm from Greece and Bulgaria, so definitely Bulgaria is in my heart. I've uh, I've been there for many, many years uh, too, living. So it was really great surprise to hear that you're from Bulgaria too. Uh, yeah, I, I discovered you through your partner in crime at uh, Design Morphine um, because she was posting pictures uh, with you. Uh, what is what is the you're the CTO, if I'm not wrong, and she's the CEO of Design Morphine. Svetelina Georgieva. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, so um, you, I'm very curious because this is a unique platform you both, I guess, have started. And uh, for me, it was extremely a surprise that it's a Bulgarian uh, platform for education. But you can explain yourself more about <laughs> it and you can say a little bit who you are and what you do. Of course. Yeah, happy to be here. I'm uh, the creative director of uh, Design Morphing, co-founder of Design Morphing. And I'm also uh, currently working uh, with Nike uh, as a 3D design director for the Catalyst Dimension. So these are my primary roles, I would say. Um, and uh, I'm a trained as an architect, so that's how I know Svetelina. And uh, that's where everything started uh, with us. Um, all our journey about computational design started from architecture and actually at the University of Civil Engineering and Geodesy in Bulgaria. 
crazy, crazy that, uh, I mean, I know that we Bulgarians are super strong in digital technologies, particularly the IT industry, but uh, were you the pioneers or was it already very developed, uh, computational design in Bulgaria? Not at all. <laughs> Not at all. When I started, uh, it wasn't, um, I decided uh, to become an architect at the time because I was very passionate about uh, design in general. And I thought that that was a great way to, you know, like express yourself. Um, I saw a lot of the work of Zaha Hadid at the time, and uh, that was what inspired me. So from Really, from the beginning when I started, um, you know, like my architectural journey, I was fascinated by what could, you know, be done with uh, computational design and advanced design. And, um, you know, it was something that I was always looking forward to, but there were, there was nothing, you know, like of the sorts uh, in Bulgaria at the time. So that was always my dream, even starting, you know, in the university that, uh, you know, like I'll learn more about the skills and I will be able to share them with my community, uh, firstly in Bulgaria, and then I couldn't have imagined that it would be with uh, the rest of the world too. What, what year did you did you start um, learning about Zaha Hadid and understanding what's uh, the software behind those projects and all the skills you wanted to then build up to achieve similar results? I think it was around 2009 or eight. I'm not sure. I have to check. <laughs> okay, well, it. We don't need the we don't need the month and the second. In the minute. But um, uh, so you you say back then there was it was not so so developed. And, not in uh, Eastern Europe. No. How how did you learn? How did you did you practice yourself? And also one thing that it's um, very interesting in the, learning this kind of skills is that. Um, it's a little bit very difficult to get from zero to something. And I think once you start understand that something, it's a little bit easier to build upon. Uh, how did you overcome the frustration probably initial? If there was some, maybe you're super talented well, uh, since the first no, try no. was super good. <laughs> I, I, I'm really bad. Like I was very bad with computers. I literally did not have a computer until I was 20 years old like to that point, you know, so definitely, you know, I was learning how to even like uh, use a computer at that time. Uh, but what happened, it was that my fascination with uh, the work and just the freedom of expression just overcame my fear. So, um, of course, like for me, the way that uh, I was introduced to computational design and the way that um, I, I started participating in, in this discourse was through international workshops. So I would travel to any kind of workshop and any kind of opportunity really that there was, especially in Europe at the time as a student, uh, architectural student. And I think that because it was a community-based learning experience, it wasn't that scary, right? Like it was something that it was much more than just learning the technical skills. Now we have so much information about this online, right? Like there were so many different ways to learn it, but at the time it was through this communal experience really. But I think that nowadays it's a little bit the opposite where there are too many ways to learn it. So you don't know uh, where to start or what is really good or what is the right information, if some people are legit or not. 
was it through this participation in this workshop that you guys thought, oh, maybe uh, when, I mean, after a little bit, you gained your skills that you were like, ah, probably it's good to start our own school about this? Of course, yes, uh, it was through these workshops because they were multiple really like through the years, right, like uh, the architectural uh, education, it's almost six years in Bulgaria. So throughout this time, there were multiple really like workshops during um, which I was really fascinated by the community and I just wanted to keep going, right, like and uh, wanted to have the opportunity just to share the experiences that I had. After the um, UACG, after I graduated from my first master's, um, I also studied at the Architectural Association, the Design Research Lab. So I feel that like at that time, even though I was still a student, that's when things really like started with uh, Tsvetelina. We were very passionate about uh, the designs and uh, I was sharing with her my experiences. And that's how we actually decided to do the make really the first workshop in Sofia, Bulgaria. And as uh, any proper startup, we actually started from uh, the garage of the university. <laughs> so <laughs> that's uh, where the first workshop was. But it was really an amazing experience. And we just uh, kept going, kept organizing those workshops in Bulgaria. We then had also the opportunity to collaborate and um, uh, bring on Michael Pryor as a partner and um, creator in Design Morphine. And we we expanded like with time. We had uh, so many friends and um, really amazing designers that became part of it. Uh, that, uh, that that was something that was very special to us. It wasn't just the, the knowledge itself, but it was just the community that was forming around it. And it was because through all these years and the knowledge that we were accumulating, we were having the opportunity to really work with these people, but after the workshop is gone, like or you know, like the the specific uh, project or uh, job that we had, like is gone, there was no more opportunities for us to collaborate, play, design, imagine things. So design morphing became that space, you know, like for us to share those experiences and to keep in touch with each other and. Um, keep being in each other's lives, even though we might not be in the same geographical location. Yeah. And um, did you did you both went to London to study or you were in London and then you were still in touch with uh, Svetelina? I was uh, the one that um, went to London at the time, yes. Uh, did you go to the AA because you discovered that that's uh, maybe uh, a stop in between you and uh, Zahadid Architects to start there? or? Uh, you were I just passionate so. about the, the program there. I thought so, yes. At the time, like I knew the connection that the DRL had with um, Azaha, but I was also fascinated by the work. And that's why even as a studio, I I was actually in Theodoros Spiropoulos studio. Uh, so it was more much more about self-assembly robotics, that it's a totally different topic than what, um, you know, it's taught in Patrick's studio. Um, so I was just, you know, looking to develop really like new skills and push myself into, you know, uh, the more challenging parts of uh, what was really like, available to me at the time. And at uh, what point uh, did uh, Nike came into question? Was it during your studies or afterwards? 
Oh, much later, I would say, because uh, first I started as an architectural uh, designer at Foster and Partners. I was um, also teaching at the AA uh, DRL when I graduated. So I maintained these uh, two lanes, really, like uh, the professional development lane uh, with design and architecture and also education at the same time. So um, as uh, you know, I was at Foster and Partners, then I moved to New York, I continued my work as an architect there, and then I moved uh, into full-time into academia with NYIT. At the same time, I've had the privilege, like with Design Morphing, to teach different collaborations with Design Morphing and Harvard, GSD, or MIT and Open Style Lab. So they were really, you know, like fascinating and fun endeavors that were going on with Design Morphing at the same time. And um, that's where, you know, like um, after years of work, really, like I've had the opportunity to, to join Nike. And it was a really amazing opportunity because I think that I had um, that I had really like a podium and a space to to grow my leadership skills beyond even design morphing that it's now ten years old um, because again like it's a really amazing company like to do that. Indeed, indeed, and um, you mentioned. Uh... You work at Norman Foster Architects, then you went to New York. I don't know if at the same company or another one. Um, were you always um, active on the side to do your own projects to, or the projects with Design Morphine maybe to create a portfolio? Uh, and was it your wish to leave architecture or it just happened? Um, it, it was my wish, I guess, because uh, I think that we are struggling a lot, like in our in architectural industry, like that's not a secret. So I really wanted to have different kind of experiences. Uh, that's one part of it. But on the other hand, to be honest, I was very fascinated by just computational design and how it could be applied to different industries. So I was really looking forward to different opportunities to do so. Um, and that's where collaborations also with um, the AA and Ferrari came along or the AA and uh, the Louis Vuitton retail spells came along, like, and all this from the lens of advanced and computational design. And I was also always very fascinated, like, in taking part in this because they were just giving me the opportunity to understand how really this... Uh, new methodologies, um, you know, new to architecture and design, right? Like in the last years, especially because of computers, I would say, not as a mindset, like they were applied everywhere. And I think that now, then, 10 years after, we see the, uh, really them being infiltrated in all companies, all design aspects. Everyone is looking into computational design and AI at the time. So that's where this was really coming from. I see, I see. No, I, I ask you because um, I'm hearing a lot, a, a lot about people uh, leaving architecture, uh, which is something that uh, makes me sad, but I understand it. There's even uh, um, this um, little uh, this consultation, cons consultation agency, let's call it, that uh, helps architects to get out of architecture. It's called Out of Architecture. So... Uh, what was for you the struggle to to 
move to i mean of course the opportunity is great as you said and the curiosity but uh, where is something was something particular of the architectural industry that was um, hectic for you because um, i want to address this because i think it's important to address it also to people who might be leaders in architecture offices and maybe they will understand that there is something that needs to change right so yeah no i understand that yes uh well my experience uh, from my experience and again like um, what uh, was happening in my life definitely like i think that the struggles were around um you know like uh, just the bal work-life balance i would say right like it's very difficult to uh, be in an industry where you're constantly you know like being asked to prioritize only the projects and the design and this is not just you know project based but it is industry based right uh, it's everywhere that like we're having this struggle and we see this you know expectation for you know like the really like the design industry like to uh, as architects to prioritize this work uh, and this is okay, like if it happens like once or twice, but when the expectation is there, like, you know, as a constant, uh, it becomes toxic and it's understandable because like uh, there is more to life than just work. And it's me saying that, that like I obviously, you know, like uh, on the side that I love, like what I do and I continue doing it despite like, you know, ups and downs, but uh, this should be like some kind of... Um, you know, like barrier, like a stop uh, space, except for that. Uh, on the other hand, I feel that um, as architects, we are severely underpaid for the value that we bring. And um, again, like I can see it very clearly from other industries now, from a totally different point of view, right? And I feel that that's where, you know, like um, they, they like to say that I like to save architects from architecture because um also like we created a totally new master's degree and it's not geared only towards architecture it's geared towards all design industries and it was because exactly like of these um, challenges that uh, architects really face yeah i think that maybe the also the way we are paid should be changed i think that um i mean but that's a whole other topic. Maybe if you put like a bonus, if the project is profitable and then, I don't know, um, give more freedom and flexibility in the sense that if somebody works to death for a few weeks and months, then can have a little bit time off. There are some uh, systems that can be put in place, but I totally see. But that's a whole other topic that could be another <laughs> podcast alone. And um you mentioned uh, what is was super interesting to me about uh, you and uh, your background is that um, you mentioned that uh, Design Morphine, it's now after 10 years, it's established as a, one of the main platforms to learn uh, these um, skills, this uh, technology. Now also there are new things coming into the whole uh, mm -hmm arena like AI um, and so on, generative design. Um, how do you, and, and you mentioned the collaborations with uh, Harvard, G, uh, G, GDS, no, how it's GSD. GSD. And um, um, how do you 
put yourself on the map. Like uh, now it's very established, but um, for me it's interesting. You started these little workshops in Sofia, in Bulgaria. Some people showed up. But how do you go to Harvard or to MIT? I saw last year you had some sort of collaboration with Microsoft. Uh, you were in Miami at the art uh, exposition. How do you like? How do you knock on the door at someone and say, "Hello, we want to collaborate with you"? <laughs> <laughs> well, we don't. Uh, like a lot of times, it's not that like we are reaching out. Other times, like it, it might go go both ways, right? Like it is about just connections, but. Um, to be honest, at the time, we didn't know what we were doing. <laughs> we were just excited like, to be you know, connecting with people. And I think that that was um, you know, like what was very, very you know, like prominent in like, exactly like the beginning of Design Morphing. And because it wasn't just one person starting a new endeavor, you know, like, and uh, you second-guess yourself and you can stop. Like you're, you know, like a whole, you know, like a group of like 20, 30 people now we're uh, 60 people actually like in design morphing, uh, right? Like, so it gives you energy to keep going and continue communicating with them because I think that that's where all these opportunities are coming from. It's just from, you know, like the perseverance, the excitement, the work and the community, because like, through this community, then these opportunities become available, right? Because now we have so many of our students becoming educators, right? Like and they're creating these opportunities themselves. And, you know, like now I think that like after all these years, it is like evident, like the design morphing is, you know, like what design morphing is and uh, that we're very passionate about the community aspect of it as well as the learning and, you know, like the, the opportunities that it presents. So as far as now, for, for now I have understood, the main, uh, the main um, activity of design morphing, it's this, this um, PhD master program for one year, I think it lasts, correct me if I'm wrong. Uh, there are two endeavors here, actually. Um, we do have the workshops uh, that are still going on online uh, for now. We're hopeful that we'll bring up some of the, the OG workshops back, like in, uh, live. Uh, but uh, yes, for now, we're focused on two endeavors. One is a Master of Science degree in Advanced and Computational Design and a PhD um, also in Architecture and Advanced Design. And they're both accredited and uh, fully recognized by the um, UACEG, which is the University of Architectural Civil Engineering and Geodesy in Sofia, Bulgaria. So we're in collaboration with the university. Um, it's um, the master's, it's a nine months experience, while the PhD is three years. Uh, so they're uh, very different. Um, you know, like in really like the, the topics and things that like, uh, you know, like are available to the students. Uh, the master's degree, it's organized in a unique way, uh, like uh, building up the skills of the students. So we have five leading design chapters and five supporting labs. Uh, so more on the technical and conceptual side. And the five leading chapters are about uh, you know, they, they really work as stepping stones. Uh, so starting from 
uh, chapter one where we were envisioning a new body and then creating a narrative around uh, new world and uh, building uh, cityscapes and every and reaching the state of, of cosmogony while when we are talking about the phd the experience is very different we have 12 different pathways and really the experience is more um, you know, like a gear towards uh, uh, research, and it is a much longer endeavor, but it is, you know, like a more like a research based uh, project. Well, with the master's degree, it's, I would say, it's a faster endeavor, right? Like it's only nine months, but it is a quite uh, uh, interesting space because now we've seen a lot of our students graduating from the master's degree and they're venturing into, again, like different industries, different opportunities. They're coming out with a lot of technical knowledge and understanding, but also uh, very strong design skills to be applied in both industries that manufacturing is prominent or really like um, other industries like the NFT or metaverse or, you know, game design. And we see them really going into both paths. So from, from what I'm hearing, the, the PhD, it's more for people that are already involved somehow into, into this. And then they do research for three years with, with you. And then um, the master that it's nine months, it's more like to, um, I don't know, to develop your skills. But in order to join this master, do you need to already be proficient in certain softwares or have deep understandings and then build upon? Or you can join Design Morphine as a completely newbie and then um, learn? We have some complete newbies that are really, really amazing, to be honest. Um, that's, I think, the, the, the magic of Design Morphine, that like, uh, because we started from workshops and we weren't really uh, choosing at the time who we teach, right? Like, um, we were very open to whoever wants to learn, you know, like we will uh, teach them. So that was very much like in the core of Design Morphine from the beginning. And uh, with a master's degree, of course, the, the policy is very different. There is a portfolio selection and so on. But uh, we still keep the same mindset of that we are starting from the beginning uh, and ramping up. And that's what, you know, like I, I would say, like what is uh, special or different about like what, you know, like we offer as an educational experience. And again, we've seen some really amazing people coming with, um, you know, only Illustrator or Photoshop knowledge because they might be from a different design industry, like the fashion design industry or, um, you know, like industrial design. And they might have, you know, in nine months, they might be like very, very strong, actually computational designers, advanced designers in their field. And I've had the privilege to witness uh, some of those stories already. Cool. And uh, what kind of softwares do you teach them or they get to pick among several or do they uh, learn all of them contemporary in, in contemporary? Like, how does it work? 
So, uh, because like, again, like it's a very, um, you know, like the, the whole logic of the masters is, uh, created like stepping stones for learning. And what I think that, um, was missing in education, you know, like when we started, like, uh, in general, like, uh, you know, like the, uh, the teaching of computational design was that, you know, this parallel learning of different softwares that are like different languages, right? So here, what we're doing with the masters is really creating the stepping stones. So we are teaching polygonal modeling uh, with uh, industry standard, really, um, programs in order for students to be able to navigate then, you know, their professional career. So we're working with uh, mostly with Maya, ZBrush, uh, Blender, right, like when we're talking about uh, polygonal modeling. And then we're introducing more subdivisions modeling, uh, NURBS, and then venturing into Grasshopper, building a lot of those skills uh, into like chapter two when we're talking about uh, what we call a core puzzle or really the living quarters of uh, the new creature and the new uh, space that we're creating. And then we are uh, venturing more and more into more uh, advanced grasshopper techniques or blender procedural modeling, um, going into Houdini, which is an amazing tool and I can't, uh, you know, like recommend it enough for the newer generation. Um, and going into really like coding and C sharp and working like with Grasshopper on a deeper level. So that's where, you know, like we're hitting a lot of milestones. Uh, and that's because again, it's not a parallel learning and it's not about choosing your own path, but it's rather just trusting the process and building up your knowledge from, from zero. And uh, you said it's online. How does it work? Like, do the students have uh, the possibility to, um, is it possible? Like, I know that everything is possible, but if it's like really feasible to do the master and have a job, or is it something that you need to focus a lot? And also, uh, as it is online, do they have access to tutors more like, I don't know, in certain timetables every day or how do you uh, follow the students? Because, I mean, one thing that it's uh, very difficult is sometimes if you try to figure stuff yourself, it might take hours. And if you ask a person that's skilled in that, they can explain you that problem in three seconds. So yeah. I'm curious about how you have organized that side of the master's. So I'll answer, I'll go first with the million dollar question. Can you work and study at the same time? We get this question all the time. It's a very personal thing, to be honest, yeah. because we've seen students working for jobs and really killing it, really like doing an amazing job of the masters. And we've seen others that uh, that might be their primary, you know, like um, uh, task and uh, they might be struggling, right? Like and having a hard time. So it really depends on the personality, I think, and uh, multitasking skills and, again, like where you're coming from. Uh, and um, it has to do a lot with that. But definitely it is a master's degree that because uh, it is only nine months and we're going through so much material, it does need uh, serious dedication. Uh, it's not something easy. It's not something that you just watch tutorials, right? Like you are challenged, you are uh, asked to produce amazing work and you have all the support in the world for that. So basically what we're doing with um, 
with the masters is uh, what we are achieving is uh, we have a very good uh, communication a way to communicate with our students and that's uh, through different platforms uh, we are using Miro for their board so we're able to see their progress really daily uh, and seeing like what is on the board mm. and um, we are communicating also through teams and uh, messages we have uh, really like personal messages with all team members of um, uh, you know like the the different teams uh, which are also like I'm um, oh, sorry Gary, I have to start from the beginning I'm sorry uh, <clears throat> okay so this thing threw me off okay it's working Okay, so uh, so going into the second question about like uh, the um, how we communicate with the students, we have a couple of different ways uh, that um, we work together uh, through different platforms. That's through Miro, where the students are uploading their daily progress and working progress boards. Uh, so we are able to see like how the teams are advancing. And then the second part is uh, really like we keep in touch through Teams. Uh, there are different channels for the different chapters where they can ask questions. Uh, and because the team is uh, really all over the world, there is um, like basically at all times somebody who is going to probably like ask their questions. Um, they are working also with... Um, uh, with the core leads that are there and supporting them throughout their whole journey. Well, uh, the, in the different chapters, they have like um, different uh, tutors and different educators joining them that have like the certain expertise in the domain that they're uh, really um, uh, teaching um, at the masters. Uh, however, we also have um, chats with uh, you know the team members of each team, so they can you know send a personal message or like a certain message that has, uh, pertains like uh, about like their project or some question that they might have that might not be you know like applicable to others. So we have uh, these multiple channels of. Um, uh, really communication that it's helping us maintain a very healthy space where we can communicate and reach each other and um, answer questions. That sounds uh, great. And um, what I've checked also is that uh, the the tuition price is, um, it's, um, let's say, premium level. It's, I mean, other educational um Institutions are for sure uh, even more expensive, um, but um, do you you said you mentioned that several of your former students um, started being an edu educator also at the at Design Morphine? Um, do you know or do you have some examples? Of course, we don't need to know the identity of what kind of career paths they have taken after Design Morphine, because of course. Uh, it's an investment, so uh, also for me, it's interesting if they are like people that maybe join Nike or maybe join some other famous uh, design brands, or if they, they themselves are now some renowned uh, artist, uh, stuff like that. <laughs> Yes, we have some uh, students that um, have ventured into their own uh, design platforms and businesses like Nosales, like about footwear. We've had some of the um, um, students like joining Nike, uh, others Bombardier or uh, depends on 
they want to continue with architecture like mud architects or other um, offices. So it's very, you know, like different pathway. We also have a lot of the students actually getting more opportunities uh, working in the um, uh, as you know, like as educators in uh, other universities, and they're getting more and more opportunities from you know, like um, as being connected with them uh, to you know, like uh, go into uh, more exciting like uh, endeavors for them, or they may choose actually to go into other universities like the Angevante and continue their education, um, or you know, like in London again, like the Royal uh, Academy of Arts. So it really it's a very different path and that's I think um, to be expected because again coming in we have uh, students that might be engineers, roboticists, architects, fashion designers, industrial designers so again like it's very understandable that then you know going out of the program right like they will venture into very very different uh, spaces. I see. One thing that uh, it was really cool to me when I discovered Design Morphine and discovered you and uh, Svetelina is that you are bo both women and you both have started this thing, and which is really cool. But I was curious, what is the um, differences in your roles? Because you're, uh, as you said, uh, more the creative uh, director and she's the CEO. So uh, what you're more curating maybe the... Educational programs, and she's more into the connection with, uh, as I said, Harvard and also Microsoft. I don't know. Well, things are not so cut and dry in, you know, like smaller, <laughs> smaller, uh, you know, like startups, I would say, like it's uh, still like a small company, right? Uh, but um, we, uh, we have, um, she's definitely like working like on, um, you know, like as a CEO, we have also another partner, um, who is uh, Michael Pryor, who is actually like the design director. So how we work, it's uh, very, you know, like uh, it's been 10 years now. So I I'm more on the get very excited about new endeavors to to be honest and then like I do um, I am very interested into seeing different ways to do you know like um, different um, work that has been done in in a certain way in the past so for instance with a master's degree program right like uh, we scraped absolutely everything that was already existing and rethought you know like a totally different way to, you know, like uh, accelerate uh, the um, educational process because, again, the computational design is not something easy. Uh, Michael Pryor, he's mostly... Uh, focused on design or our partnerships with design. We've had the privilege to work with Arturo Tedeschi. We've created the Horizon Lamp. So that was a collaboration that uh, he led primarily like with Arturo. Um, different kind of collaborations, as I mentioned before, they just come from different, you know, like uh, really opportunities that arise. So that's where, you know, like it really depends, uh, you know, like how re really like this connection came to be. Uh, but uh, yeah, Svetelina is uh, quite uh, involved with uh, with this part uh, of uh, the business. And she also is, um, uh, you know, like she's uh, never giving up, which I love about her. So even if I have an idea or something crazy, I know that I will always go to her first. Right, like, and uh, she will always be super supportive and never give up until she figures out the way to to make it happen. 
So definitely, you know, that's a little bit like of the inner dynamics of, of the team. How do you guys work together? Because if I'm not mistaken, you should be in Portland, right? Yes, and she uh, is with in Michael. Ma with Michael, yes, yeah, so we're in Portland, Svetelina is in Bulgaria, but all our team is really everywhere in the world. Uh, so I think that uh, that's why that's not something that um, really, like, uh, it's a hindrance to us. Uh, we have, you know, like a chat and we co uh, communicate all the time. We just have our notifications off, to be honest. So no matter where we are, if we're traveling or, you know, like... Um, we're in any place in the world really like we are able to communicate in this way one thing that i was curious is also the demographic of the students that join because since i started doing this podcast now three years i think that um, mostly the people that are interested into learning uh, more doing the extra get like walking the extra mile um, getting curious about people like you and all the other people that have been on this podcast are generally coming from the more emerging in the, uh, economies in the world, like, I don't know, Asia, South America. Like, I have the feeling that um, the Western side of the the globe is not so hungry, <laughs> like, to, to for success and for learning and for... For getting better, do you do you have similar observation through the demographic of your students, or is actually very mixed from equally all over the place? I would say it's mixed, um, and that's where we also like create these different groups uh, based on time zones. Um, we see a lot of interest, definitely, like from India and from the United States uh, more than Europe. Uh, so I can see like where you know uh, your comment is coming from. Uh, Latin America too, yes, uh, but uh, for us it's really like from everywhere. Like we do have like some students from Asia, but uh, not too many. I think it just because like it, for us it is. Uh, online masters like uh, you know just the social media and reach like to uh, to Asia it's totally different game how, how many hours a day do the students uh, are online to learn every day at their class and then of course they have to practice but that's as I said up to everyone so how much is the time that they have to be fixed in front of the screen to listen to their uh, lessons yeah, that's a good question. Uh, so again, uh, things are different, <laughs> uh, like as you might expect. So uh, in each chapter, they're really, you know, like or organized or created this in waves where they have pre-recorded tutorials and the freedom to watch them as they please, uh, like in the first couple of weeks of each chapter. Then moving into the you know like the next couple of weeks which is the design phase that's where their educators are really joining and every day they're meeting them for four hours uh, each day for two weeks and then the next couple of weeks again they're officially like what you know like what we could call offline uh, to prepare the presentations and gather like any kind of uh, additional material they need uh, but again, they might have like one-to-one -one sessions with their chapter leads. Uh, we still communicate again, like through um, written form and platforms. And still jump on a call, but it's not going to be again like the daily, you know, like a uh, four-hour window that we have during the educators' time. Um, this is because 
this is coming a little bit from, you know, like the, just the notion that the students can, you know, like learn and prepare a lot of uh, the material just before like their educators join. And then they are actually designing with them, which is very exciting. Um, because again, like in a lot of uh, traditional architecture or design practices, we see a professor uh, who is critiquing and, you know, like um, this very knowledgeable about the design part. But then we have uh, educators and tutors that are only, you know, like focused on the technical part. And there is a disconnect there, right? And especially for students that they might have not ventured into, you know, like um, any kind of like three-dimensional like practices, any kind of really like software. So that's where, um, you know, like uh, here, you know, like in our master's, the the educators are, you know, from both sides, technical and design part, they're the same person. So they can be, you know, talking to the students about design and trying to make it better and try to give them, um, you know, like their opinion about it. But then we also have the other aspect, which is that they can jump in and really help them hands-on with a technical question or challenge that they might have. And I think that that's a lot of, you know, the strength of, you know, the program and the ability like to move forward faster uh, than a conventional like master's degree. And um, I was curious, you how were, were you ac accepted by the um, traditional academia? Because clearly your uh, platform is something disruptive, it's something innovative, um, but you have collaborated also with very established institutions. Um, is it also because the university in Sofia it's maybe more emerging on the on the global like it's not so international like as other institutions that uh, has embraced this and said that this is something cool we want to use this as our rocket to to show that we can uh, attract uh, students from all over the place and become an attractive university um, yeah what was the reason how did you resonate with the traditional institutions that we know are very traditional <laughs> it's a great question it's a great question um it's again through just the perseverance of time and not giving up to be honest because again um the dean of the architectural department at the uacg he uh, orlin Davchev, he has been really a pioneer and he has been really seeing really like what uh, the power of computational design can bring and um in the university itself, they do have courses and they teach computational design. And these are, again, like students of Design Morphine uh, that are really in this university and uh, spearheading this uh, endeavor. For us, we're more focused uh, on the programs that, um, uh, you know, like we're collaborating like with the university. I think that you're, you know, like uh, spot on on, uh, you know, the opportunities that they see about growth uh, and about also... Um, you know, putting the university on the map for, you know, like, again, more international reach and endeavors. I'm personally, and I think Svetlina too, we're very proud that it is a Bulgarian university, um, you know, like, just because, like, we are, you know, like, uh, uh, from Bulgaria, so it's absolutely normal. That's our university that we graduated in, so... You know, it, it uh, really matters a lot to us that uh, this is happening through them. 
Uh, there is another aspect also of this. The university has a very long tradition. Uh, they have, um, uh, they were the Polytechnicum of Bulgaria from, you know, like the 1950s, I think. So there is a lot of uh, time that they have been on the map. Uh, but also their accreditation is very, very strong. And we are able to see now with our graduates, again, from all across the globe, that the university's accreditation, it's really um, powerful and it's being accepted uh, all across, uh, you know, like the, the globe. And that's something that uh, definitely I've experienced as a graduate, but also like we see this now with um, everyone else's uh, journey. Now it was to say not to to discredit the university. It was just to say that I um, think that not every person that considers studying architecture the first university that comes in mind is Sofia. Yeah. But uh, like having a, a little powerhouse like your startup uh, in, attached to to this uh, very um, established university for sure it gives uh, you know extra. <laughs> flavor in modern way of approaching design. Absolutely. And here we're talking about uh, something very specialized, right? Like computational design specialized at the same time, right? Like applicable to any industry, but uh, it's specialized for the architecture department where they have so many other, you know, like um, uh, specialties that they're looking into and, uh, you know, other endeavors. Uh, but um, for now, the university in Sofia is working mostly uh, with, uh, it was working mostly with students from Bulgaria and uh, from Eastern Europe, I would say. So, you know, like that's where we're saying like that this is an endeavor that is attracting just more people that might have not known even where Bulgaria is. And we've had students like this, right? Like if they're from the other end of the world, it's absolute possibility. <laughs> One thing that I'm uh, curious is you have achieved now this certain level of uh, establishment of success, if you want to call it. Um, also, like working at uh, Nike, it's something unique because not everyone managed to get into a company like this one. What is your uh, driver? Like, is it passion or is it uh, rather uh, your personal ambition? Because, uh, I mean, um, or, or both, I don't know, how do you see yourself as someone that's very passionate and you're really burning for, for the art, let's say, for the design? Or also you are ambitious and you want to, like, prove yourself, I don't know. Well, there are many factors, you know, like to, uh, to, to that, right? But I think that for me, like, uh, again, I'm going to mention design morphine, but because it has been there from a very early stage in my, you know, path and development, like feeling that I can, the feeling that I can always give back, you know, like it has been something that is always like grounding me and it's always giving me strength, you know. Obviously, like I am somebody who who is competitive, uh, who, you know, like enjoys the thrill of uh, new endeavors, uh, you know, like uh, new experiences, learning. But I think it just, for me, it just goes beyond that because there is a purpose uh, like for, you know, like my growth. I feel that like I want to grow because I want to be better, you know, like for others. So that's something that, you know, like always gives me the strength and motivation and passion to move forward. 
Um, the other aspect of this is like I moved from design, right? Like I'm designing myself to empowering others to do so. And I think that like in a lot of situations like this, we see a lot of, um, you know, managers, uh, leaders, you know, like uh, feeling, you know, um, a little bit like uh, that they are missing their, their you know, their, their previous role. Um, in my situation, like in, or in my case, this is not exactly like this because I feel that, you know, like the successes and the designs and all the, you know, like really happy moments that are happening and achievements and growth that, uh, you know, the students are achieving, like, I feel that I'm part of this. So it's, you know, it's really something that, um, gives a lot of uh, energy and passion and uh, excitement but it is very human centric more than it is actually design centric i would say yeah i was asking because um you know when you see people like you that have achieved like something that to me it seems like very a lot like i don't know uh maybe because people underestimate themselves maybe for you it's something more normal but looked uh from the side it's uh something like remarkable very remarkable um i i was curious because everything that you say it's very nice to get better every day but it involves a lot of sacrifice and in, in order to make this sacrifice you have to have something beyond uh you know beyond i don't know maybe the monetization or be beyond like and, and it has to be whether yeah. passion or ambition i i don't know um and how is it how is it seen how it has been seen through your career from your other employers this thing and do they see this as something uh Uh, intimidating for them or are they something uh, where they're fostering it because uh, I, I live in Germany I work in Germany I think uh, uh, when people see here doing you doing something uh, outside of your profession they're always very skeptical I don't know they might think you are trying to do something on the side maybe do something that's competitive to what they're doing uh, even if it's something that's education you know uh, so I was curious how it has been seen. Yeah. I think I was fortunate enough to just work in environments that they were accepting of, um, you know, like uh, uh, this um, endeavor. And it was because, like, they didn't see it, I feel, like, as a threat because it is an educational practice, right, uh, primarily. Like, uh, so it doesn't really, there is no conflict of interest, really, like, with, you know, like, the, every other endeavor. And... Um, a lot of times, um, like through these other practices, there might be, again, like an opportunity in the future for collaboration or, you know, like uh, working together uh, in the future. And we've done that, like, uh, again, through through the years. Uh, but, um, yeah, I'm just trying to be honest, like to just sense, uh, you know, like the environment and uh, do the right decision for me. But uh, Design Morphing has been always there and has been always a non-negotiable and it was you know like um, something that it's very upfront and actually people are reaching out because they know design morphine right and because 
they appreciate um, just the growth and what it brings to the table. So for me, it has been the opposite effect, right? Like somehow I skipped this uh, this part. Uh, maybe I was uh, just lucky. <laughs> Or, it... or maybe I wasn't that vocal in the beginning, you know, like about it. Who knows? <laughs> and uh, does uh, there's design morphine uh, as a business gives you the freedom to say no to a lot of things that you might not like? Because uh, I don't know if, if of course, uh, if you could do all, could you do only design morphine without uh, another job and that would be enough for you? Like, um I mean, to pay the bills, not not as a, a personal reward, but I mean, because this is something that plays a factor, right? When somebody tries to force you to do, I mean, not force you, but when you have a negotiation and when you have a certain freedom to say no, then it's easier to do it. I don't know if I've had like this kind of mindset, uh, to be honest, like through the years, um, because again, like I am, uh, you know, like living in other countries, right? Like that are, are not really like uh, Bulgaria or Greece. So the, you know, like just the expectations of daily life are very different, right? Like, and what you need in order to survive. Um, but I think it was more, you know, like that as I was building, you know, my skill set and my portfolio and just, you know, different, um, um, different experiences, I was just always very mindful about what ex this experience would, you know, like entail and what, uh, you know, how I'm going to be growing with it. So my primary, you know, like mindset has, hasn't been finances, not because I'm, I was very comfortable. I'm not coming from, um, uh, a background that actually, you know, like was able to support me if I was, you know, I was going to starve, but you know, like I had this mindset that, I need to take the decision for myself or where am I going to grow and learn and become better. I think that that's the difference. Uh, so, you know, like the lifestyle portion of it or the financial portion of it um, has to do with it when you don't have any other means, right? Like, and when you're, you know, not going to have a roof over your head, uh, but at least, I was fortunate, I think, like to have the support of my family to do that. Um, but with this being said, with, uh, for instance, like my mother, like gave me, I remember like all her savings, life savings for me to, you know, like go to the AA and study, right? Like, because again, these endeavors are pretty costly. They are, you know, like an investment in your future. And I think that um, just this mindset that everything that, you know, like your family owns, you know, like it's put into something that you're just trying to learn and become better through it. Like it does put a lot of pressure on you to perform better, right? Like and to be the best version of yourself uh, that you can be. So definitely it has been something on my mind. It hasn't been an easy journey. Um, but, you know, just again, thinking beyond that as much as possible, I think it's very, very helpful. I love that you're very open and about it, and I love hearing these things because I I, I love that people understand what mm -hmm. it costs behind uh, the end result. You know, it's so now it's easy. Everybody could say, "Look, uh, she's so successful. She's so fortunate. She's maybe even privileged." But 
be, be, be before that there was a lot of lot of work uh, I, I would love to stay here and talk to you for hours, but as many people might have understood, you're a very busy person. Um, but <laughs> I want to finish with, uh, with our last question. And uh, in your case, I will add something to it. So the last question for every guest is, we are very uh, sensitive uh, people as creators and we often need to recharge our inspiration battery. So if there is something that you love doing to do that, maybe watching a certain movie, reading a certain book, going to a certain place or practicing something that inspires you. And when you have answered this, you don't have to cover all of these topics. You can pick what is important for you. <laughs> Just one. And, and to tell us when is the next uh, master of Design Morphine starting and uh, how people can enroll. Yeah, well, thank you for all your kind words, Georgi, and, uh, you know, it's uh, been really amazing talking to you. Uh, well, I would say that, like, maybe it's very simple for me just binge-watching or, you know, like, picking a series and just, you know, like, spacing out. Like, that's something that definitely, like, it's, you know, like, part of, like, what do I do when I can't, you know, like, do anything else and I just really need to recharge. Uh, but... Um, Again, because like of the the different uh, the, the differences between just like w what I do and like uh, the the jobs that I have, I actually you know because it's a different space and different challenge, a different thing. I kind of you know like perceive it as a game. So it is a lot of my daily life like uh, has to do again like with uh, design morphing and just thinking about like next steps and next things that like you know could be possible. Um, so yeah, that's a little bit like of my day to day, uh, not, uh, very conventional, you know, I wish I could say that I run or I, uh, you know, I have a passion for uh, skydiving or anything else, <laughs> but, uh, to be honest, because my, my hobby might be unconventional. It is design morphing. It does, it is the text, uh, big portion of my day. Uh, I'm also actually like, um, a PhD candidate myself uh, from the university in Sofia. So that's another thing that like uh, it's taking up a lot of my time, but it's also very enjoyable because I get then to go in and really rediscover and um, rethink a lot of uh, the knowledge that I've, you know, like accumulated during the years. Uh, so I have the opportunity there to really, so the reading part, it's like more like academic driven right now, uh, just because like of this endeavor, uh, like in my life. And, and when do people can enroll for Design Morphine in the next uh, possible uh, time point? So uh, we always start with the Masters every September. So the cohort for this year has already started, but we have opened uh, our applications. And um, there is always a link like to reach out to me personally. I do, um, you know, like uh, have the opportunity to talk to a lot of our students on one-to-ones, answer questions. I'm happy to do that because it gives me a very valuable perspective on, you know, like what really like uh, student need uh, in order for their education. So I'm trying my best to really carve out time and uh, continue doing this work. Um, and uh, on the other hand, with the PhD, things are, you know, like rolling out, like uh, we have... Uh, 
the opportunity for you know the candidates, prospective candidates that might be interesting to apply at any point in the the year because we do start four times a year with this endeavor. It's very uh, personal and um, self-driven. There are some amazing mentors uh, that are there uh, during the journey of the candidates. But uh, yeah, the application process is um, open throughout the whole academic year. Great. Well, thank you very much for your time. And uh, you are always welcome back to the show whenever you want to share something new with us or also all the team members and uh, students, future graduate of Design Morphine uh, are always also invited to, to speak and share their experience. Thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you so much, Gary. Have a great day. Thank you too.